The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org.
shadows deepen. We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. You wish that you could see it all made new. We do. Is all creation groaning?
Don, I got a got a bone to pick with you. You know, um, my wife has been doing everything in her power over the last month or so to keep me on a keto kind of sort of diet. And what do you do but pile macaroni and cheese right in front of me before I have to come up here? <laughs> Just trying to help you out. Thanks, thanks. Just what I need there. Hey, uh, good to be here. Good morning. You know, it's always a blast to come up here and get to do this and get to visit with you. You know, we, we try to make this fun. I try to try to speak in simple terms to where we all can understand and, and can take it and go forth. But um, if you've been here the last few times, you know I've kind of been in a rut on something. And, and we've been kind of been getting excited about Jesus. And so without do, let's stand and let's make a joyous noise if you're able to. For those of you that have been here, you know what's coming. But you know what? I'm only going to do it once this morning, but you're going to do it like you mean it, all right? One time, Carla, just like you like it, okay? Here we go. Repeat after me. Today, Today. I'll, be I'll be bright, cheerful, cheerful. and happy. happy, dreams of God's power, of God's power. Flow, through my veins. flow through my veins, and all will be well. All right, give yourselves a hand. There you go. Good deal. Nothing like getting excited about Jesus, as far as I'm concerned. Get the blood going a little bit here this morning. You know, um, last time we talked about labels, the last time I was up here, and this time I'm going to talk about service, talk about serving. And uh, we ended that one last time by talking about serving, and we're going to lead right into it. And you get to talking about service, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I hope I don't step on too many toes today. But with the ones I don't step on, Don's going to later on, so get ready. He's got a great, great, great 
series started. And uh, but as we talk about about service, you know, one thing comes to my mind, and um, I had the opportunity and was blessed and honored a little over a year ago. My mother passed away, and uh, I got to speak at her funeral right up here on this platform. And, you know, you think back about your mother, whether, you know, everybody in this room, you can remember your mother, whether she's still alive or whether she's passed. And as you as you think about your mother, you just think about the things that she taught you. And usually the list is extremely long, isn't it? I mean, she taught you an abundant amount of things. But for mine, there was one thing that surfaced to the top without a doubt. And that was that my my mother taught me how to serve. And I didn't realize she was doing it. And she started on me at a very young age. You know, for those of you who don't realize, I'm I'm an only child. So my mother drug me everywhere, okay? Every place she went, I was there too. Well, whenever she was in college, she was a Zeta in college, all right? After she graduated and they moved away for a couple of years, came back, then she became the Zeta's advisor, okay? So guess what? From the time I was three, four, five years old, can remember till I was nine or ten, my mother drug me to Zeta events, okay? Whether it was homecoming and we were stuffing napkins in chicken wire or a rush party or just regular meetings, I was around the most drop-dead gorgeous women out at Eastern. And all they ever wanted to do was kiss on me and hug on me, and it was disgusting, Leroy. I couldn't stand it. I used to beg mom, do I have to go with you, mom? She said, yes, you do. Come on. You know, I always kidded with her later once I got to be like a senior in high school and into college. said, hey, mom, you know, how about picking up that Zeta gig again, you know? <laughs> but by that time, she had already kind of moved on to some other things. But my mother taught me how to serve. And from that point forward, everything that I've been involved with has been an act of service. Whether it be me serving on the soil and water board or on a fair board or on a sales committee or the multiple little dribbler basketball teams that I coached and livestock judging teams, whatever it might have been, my mother taught me how to do that. Are you willing to serve? Who's taught you how to serve? How are you serving? Can you serve? Yes, you can. In small, I see it. I see it every Sunday morning. These young gentlemen over here help Miss Joanne in and out of the door and help her to her seat every single Sunday. Those young men are learning how to serve. I mean, it can be a simple act like that, or even you know, you remember hearing the pay it forward thing. You know, like you'd be going through the drive-through at McDonald's. You know, this did this ever happen to anybody? It happened to me one time. I went through McDonald's. I pulled up there to pay, and I kept trying to pay the lady, and she wouldn't take my money. And she, I said. I, I, it wasn't thinking, sticking or getting through my thick skull. She said, no, the car right in front of you, they already paid for yours. Wow. That was cool. Someone paid it for Someone paid it to me. Have you ever bought someone's meal? How often do you put cash or check in these boxes around here? That's an act of service, too. For we talk about service and we look at service and I think there's an I mean, just awesome example of service, and it's right there in our Bibles, and it's all through the gospel. Whenever they talk about Jesus, what did Jesus do? Every single thing that he did was an act of service, was it not? From him turning water to wine, from him healing the blind where they could see, lowering guys down through the ceiling so they could make them walk again. It was acts of service. Everything that he did, he showed us how to do it. All we got to do is read. All we got to do is pay attention. And he shows us whether it's a simple little act, you help in kids' zone. You go out in the community, you find some, some new place to serve, some place to give. Serving is awesome. Serving is awesome. Now then... What I had to share today is kind of, the whole thing was too much for one time up here. So this is to be continued, all right? And I'm going to give you a little preview as to what's coming, because I'm up again next month. I don't remember exactly what weekend right now, but I am up again in October. But here's a preview of what's coming to the to be continued thing, because guess what? You got homework, okay? I'm giving you homework, and you got a whole month to do it, okay? So it's not like you got a cram for the test here, okay? you got a whole month to do it. 
I heard the other day a pretty neat deal. And they said, take these and compare them and see what you think. They said, complete this sentence. They said, I get to blank. Or I got to blank. Stop and think about that for a minute. Donna, Abby, Hazes, all the teachers in the room. What about Monday morning if you get up and say, I get to go teach kids? Or are you going to say, I got to go to work? Is there a difference? And I think that there's a difference in the, if we can look at it in the way of God. Because I think one comes from God and I think the other one comes from Satan. Because I very, am a very strong believer that what comes out of your mouth is what's going to happen. And if you have, if Jesus, I think he was a go-getter. He was out to get people and out to teach people, wasn't he? And I think he's one that said, I get to go teach people today. Instead of saying, well, i got to go to Jerusalem. See the difference? It's a challenge I'm going to give you for the next month. And we're going to continue this, and we're going to see how you do. I'm going to check you on your, on your how, you, how you got along come next month. So practice that. Say, I get to go serve. I get to go to work. I get to do blank. To be, to be continued. Let's pray. Father God, as I come to you this morning, as always, I praise you and thank you, Jesus. Wow, it's just awesome that we get to sit here and praise you and we get to talk to you, Jesus. And we're just in awe of the things that you're able to do. Jesus, we ask that you just, if there's anyone hurting in this room today, if there's any healing that needs to happen, Father, I lift those people up to you. Because it says in your word, by your stripes we are healed. And we're going to stand on your word, Jesus that you will heal each and every one of us. Father, I ask that you give us the knowledge, you give us the wisdom as we go forth and we do your work in the way that you would like for it to be done. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Fox unleashed it on June 11th, 2002, and it quickly became a juggernaut. And we know it as American Idol. It really was part of the beginning of reality TV. Uh, there were a few shows, and then it exploded. It, it was on Fox for 15 seasons, took a couple years off, came back on uh, ABC. But what it did in 2003 to 2011 has been unprecedented, never done before. I don't know if it'll ever be done again. For eight straight seasons, American Idol was the number one show in America all year round, including summers. Even in reruns, they were highly rated. In fact, several times they would have four or five shows in the top ten. They introduced us to people like Carrie Underwood and Kelly Clarkson, Daughtry, Jennifer Hudson and Jordan Sparks. We all came together to hate our favorite Brit, Simon Cowell. We watched Randy Jackson go, yo, dog, I'm just not feeling it, about a billion times. And we all tuned in to see what Paula Abdul, what crazy things she was thinking that week. So, uh, you know, you never knew what was going to happen. But the show was brilliant because it let America pick what they want. Absolutely a brilliant idea, except America already picks what they want. And sometimes they choose wisely. Carrie Underwood is stinking talented, all right? That is just all there is to it. That girl's amazing. And sometimes they chose poorly. Anybody remember William Hung? Okay, William Hung was the guy that got on there and sang off case. She banged, she banged. He got a record deal, sold three million copies. Some of you people bought those garbage things. You did poor, right? And if it's one of you, I'm going to make fun of you. Uh, that's all there's to it. But, uh, you see, we often pass off the fake for the real. And most of the time, it's no harm, no foul. We have costume jewelry. We have knockoff shirts. Landry and I, when we were in the DR this summer, we got brand new sunglasses. She got Ray-Bans and I got Oakleys. And we paid 10 bucks. If you look real close on hers, it probably says Roy-Ban and mine say Folkly or something. I don't know what they are. I don't care. I'm not paying 200 bucks for those. Five. I'll throw down a fiver. No sweat. But a knockoff is, is not always good. You wouldn't like it if we passed counterfeit money. We get really testy about identity theft. If you try to pass off a fake diploma, it could cost you a job. Ask some college football coaches that have done that. And nowhere is it more damaging, though, than in your faith. Because nothing is worse than false gods. We're starting a new series today called American Idols. I want you to go with me for a few weeks. I don't typically do topical studies, but we are going to this for the next few, while, uh, few weeks. Look at the concept of idolatry. And you may be sitting there going, okay, Don, that's fine, but that's not me. I don't have any carvings in my house. Can I just tell you that Franklin and I were talking about this, and I, I got this idea at the end of last summer, the end of the summer, middle of there, and I was like, hey, Don, I want to do a yo dog. I want to do a series on American Idols, all right? I add the little S to the logo. This will be fun. And as I've prepped for this, this isn't fun at all. I'm very embarrassed and I'm humiliated to stand in front of you and tell you that I am an idolater. I don't like it. I, I, I don't like how much this stuff has hurt. I'm going to suggest that many of you do too. Because false gods run rampant in our culture. And we don't need to get rid of them. We need to smash them. We don't need to move them around. We need to get them out. Join me in Genesis, excuse me, Exodus chapter 20. If you're turning there, if you're online listening on the radio, welcome to Central Christian Church in Portales. Exodus chapter 20 is a very familiar passage because you're going to see the header and know exactly what it is. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. Let's park right there for just a second. When God brings his people out of Egypt, out of 400 years of abuse and slavery, the very first thing he does is he takes them to a mountain and he gives them what we call the Ten Commandments. 
Now, technically, there's 613 of them, but the 10 are the ones we know. They're the ones we print. They're the ones we put on things outside of courthouses and all that stuff. The Ten Commandments. And quite often, these Ten Commandments are, are one of the most misunderstood things about church. Out, the outside people look at church and say, see, that's just what it is. It's just a bunch of rules and regulations. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. And it's all about God trying to take away my fun and make it so I can't enjoy my life. Listen, folks. Note the very first words. Look back there in verse 1. Uh, the, or verse 2, excuse me. And I am the Lord your God who rescued you. God is bringing them out of slavery. He's not trying to put them into bondage. And there is one of the most powerful lessons that God teaches us in between the lines right here. He's teaching you how to be free. And what he says is the very first thing, you want to live free? Then don't put yourself in chains. Do not worship anything else. story is told of a little Sunday school um, where they were working on Ten Commandments in Sunday school, and they worked it out with the preacher. They were going to come out, have the kids out here, and they were going to stand up here and, and quiz. The, the preacher was going to quiz them, and they were going to be able to quote the Ten Commandments. The preacher brings them out, brings a little three-year-old girl up on stage. Okay, honey, can you tell me what are some of God's rules? And she thinks real hard for a minute, and she says, Don't bite my brother. He says, Okay, that's a pretty good rule. All right. But I'm thinking more of the things we're talking about in church. What are some of God's rules in church? She thinks, she says, don't white on the walls. Also another good rule. But here's a preacher seeing a good PR stunt going really haywire fast, you know. Kids will say the darndest thing. So he gets down on one knee and he's just like, please, come on, come up with something, right? She says, he says, okay, one more time. God's rules, the Ten Commandments. We've been practicing them in there. What do you remember about God's rules? And she thinks real hard, and her eyes come bright. It's like jackpot. And she says, no other gods. If we would get that, I would like to submit to you, if we would really get that rule, we wouldn't need anything else. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, but Don, you talk about L1 and L2 all the time. Love God and love your neighbor. Yes, we're going to expand those. But if we would really understand what that little girl said, that we need no other gods, we'd really get something. You see, an idol exists only if there is a more deserving God. You see, if there's lots of gods, there's no such thing as idol worship. When they were in Canaan, that was the problem. Canaanites are multi-theists. There were idols everywhere. There were gods everywhere. If there's lots of them, then any form of worship you choose is acceptable. It's legitimate. It only exists, though, if there is a true God with which to compare. We just sang that song, Is He Worthy? Of all blessing and glory and honor, yes, He is. He is worth first position. But God knows every man and woman will at some time or another give their heart to something. If you won't give it to God, you'll give it to a functional God. Everybody say functional God. That's a little G, by the way. And we will hear that phrase a lot in the next few weeks. We will give it to something that will pleasure or enjoy or or entertain us. And we can justify just about anything. We're amazing at that as humans. John Calvin once said, The human heart is an idle factory. If I were to quiz you, and I ask you, and I don't want answers out loud, but if I was to ask you what's the number one worst sin, I got a hunch we as Americans, we would come in and start classifying. Because we've done that. We don't mean to, but we've done that. We would say, oh, adultery and homosexuality way up here, and then, you know, cheating on your taxes. Eh, well, you know, they're not doing it right anyway, so, you know maybe little white lies, gossip's going to be way down here. It's not that important. Would you believe that the Bible, in, it mentions this word idolatry in some form over 1,000 times? It is far and away the number one sin. 
It is the biggie. It is from Genesis all the way to Revelation, including the very last words of one of John's little epistles at the end, 1 John 5, the very last phrase that uh, Laurel read a few minutes ago. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Because an idol is not just stone or wood. It's anything that gets first position. Anytime we exchange the Creator for something created, that's an idol. Anytime we take something from creation and we elevate it to a position of functional Savior. And you might say, but, but Don, I don't think it'll save me. Yes, but we give it first priority in our lives. Idolatry is the root of our sin. It was that way even in the Garden of Eden. The, the snakes that they're in whispered to them, you can replace God with something else. You can replace God with you. And you can be God. Paul tells the same thing to the early believers in, in Rome. In fact, turn all the way over to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be there a lot in the next few weeks. We're not going to get all of it today. But Romans chapter 1, I want you to start with me in verse 21. Romans 1, 21 says, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. Romans 1, verse 21. And worship Him, they wouldn't give Him thanks, and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools, and instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Before you go anywhere, look back up at verse 21. It says, yes, they knew God, but they chose differently. Friends, you need to get this. You may go to church. That does not make you a Christian. You may be here, but you've never surrendered complete control over to our God. It says they knew Him. It's not a knowledge issue. Later on in Acts 17, Paul goes to a place called Athens. Athens was the seat of knowledge. Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, all these people. He found more idols there than anywhere else. Idolatry appeals to the enlightened mind. Because what it says is, I know what's going on and I'm smart. In fact, sometimes I'm smarter than this book. It's, it's never been a knowledge issue. It's do you have him as number one? Do you have him in first position? When he comes out and he gives these ten commandments, commandment number one, he says don't have any other idols. Number one, all of the others are expressions of number one. All of the other ten commandments come from this one. Look at it this way. He says in number four, you need to take a Sabbath day rest. We understand that Sabbath day rest. He says you need it or work will become your God. And when it does, you'll get hurt and so will others. He says in the other ones, don't steal and don't covet. Is it bad to want nice things in this world? No, it's not at all. He, he says in Scripture that he gave us all creation to enjoy. But when we want things more than we want God, we'll hurt ourselves. And will hurt others. An idol is truly born when I close my fist around something. Sometimes we come to God going, we love you, God, we love you. And he says, what's in that hand? Well, God, you don't understand. That's, that's my life. I like my life. When we hold on to something like a habit... Oh, God, yeah, I want you in my life, but don't, don't be messing with my drinking, okay? I, I'm all right with that. I can control it. Don't be picking on my attitudes. Some of us hold on to grudges so tight, and we say, we'll, we're never going to let that go. What that person did is, I'll never let go. I'll never forgive. It seems so dumb, but idols lie. Idols lie to us and they tell us 
they will make us happy. We, t- we want that thing, and that's going to make us happy. We want that attitude. We want that popularity. I want to hang on to this grudge because I'm going to hang on to it. God can't handle it. I'm the only one that can handle it. You hearing me? And we can make an idol out of anything. It was that way even in the garden. The, the, the serpent didn't tell Eve to go eat an apple. He whispered to her doubts about God. And then he said, God is in the way of you getting what you want. Move him out of the way and put you in charge. You can be like God. When I started working on this, I was telling Franklin that I was rereading a couple of my... Uh, he's one of my favorite authors, a guy named Tim Keller. Uh, wrote a book called The Reason for God and another one called Counterfeit Gods. Highly recommend them. And I was reading them, and there's this one section in there. It's about three or four pages, and I wanted to read all of it. It was too stinking long, so I kind of made bullet points, all right? So what I really am asking you to do for the next three minutes, just tune in completely here. Put the phones down, put the mind out, and really listen, because what Tim Keller suggests here is some of the idols that we have. But I'm going to warn you, this is not easy. If you make your spouse your God... You'll become emotionally dependent, jealous, and other, the other person's problems will overwhelm you. If you make your family or your children your God, you'll try to live through them until they resent you. Or worse, they have no self-identity of their own. And a worst case scenario was that you would abuse them when they don't live up to your standards. If you make work your idol You'll be a driven workaholic and a boring, shallow person. At worst, you'll lose your family and your friends. And if your job goes bad, you'll fall into a deep depression. If you make money and stuff your idol, you'll be eaten up by worry, by jealousy. And you'll be willing to do unethical things to keep a certain lifestyle. If you make pleasure and comfort your idol... You'll become addicted, chained to escape strategies and finding release from problems. If you make approval your idol, you'll constantly be hurt by criticism. Fear confronting others and consequently you won't be a really good friend because you can't tell them the truth. If you make a noble cause your God, listen closely. You will divide the world into good and bad, and you will demonize your opponents. And ironically, your enemy will control you then, because without them, you won't have a purpose. You won't have a reason for your anger. If you make religion or morality your idol, and you're living up to your standards, you'll quickly become self-righteous and judgmental. But if you're not living up to your own standards... You'll be overwhelmed with guilt. We sang a really powerful song today and moving it into our regular rotation, one called Make Room. I will make room for you. It's a gorgeous song, a beautiful line. But it's the line right after that that's the really powerful line. I will make room for you to do what you want to do. Are we willing to make room to let Him be God? Because that's a challenge. And then back in Romans, you go over in in Romans, it says, So God gave them over. If you read that whole passage, that is an expression of God's wrath. That's how He expressed His anger from heaven. Now, a lot of people might think, and some TV preachers might tell you, They'll try to scare you that God's wrath comes in the form of hurricanes or terrorists. And they'll say, well, they deserve that. They're living against God and they deserve... No. Scripture tells us something clearly in Romans chapter 1. That God's wrath, he said he showed God's anger from heaven. He simply let them choose their idols. He said, all right, that's what you want. That's what you get. And he gave them over. God let them run wild, and all hell broke loose. Read chapter 1 of Romans. It's very clear. 
explains very clearly how hell is alive and will and thriving in our culture. But Joshua, we're studying in another class. Joshua gets up in another place and says, Choose this day whom you will serve. Now, I would bet a lot of you have a cute little plaque in your house that says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love that passage. If you've got one, that's fantastic. I, I think those are beautiful. But I want you to get the whole context of that. Joshua is looking at his people in the promised land, and he says, Choose today who you will make your God. If it's the Canaanite gods, and there were hundreds if not thousands of them, he said, pick them and go with it. Don't, don't be wishy-washy. Pick them and go with it. But as for me and my house, what he is telling you is you've got to choose to make God God every day. And you've got to name the idols that are getting in the way. Just call them out. If it's these Canaanite gods, get rid of them. Move them out. In the coming weeks, we're going to name some of America's most popular idols. An idol called more. An idol called control. An idol called success. An idol called work. We can even make good things into idols. And we're going to look at some of those too. I'm going to warn you, it's not going to be easy. But we need to dig into Scripture and let God be number one. Now, I will tell you, the problem with a series like this is, Don, you're right. I, I got some idols in my life. You, you know what? I need to make more room for God. And what you're saying is you want to squeeze God in there. In reality, what you're saying is, I don't want to get rid of the other idols. I just want to scoot some space up on the shelf and put God up there with them. Friends, God will reject every, every request and every opportunity to baptize our idols, to sanctify our other worships. Is there room for Him to do what you want? Her name is Jenny. She's six years old. She went to the store with her mom, and in a counter they had some costume jewelry, and there was a pretty little set of pearls in there, and she just fell in love with them. Oh, Mommy, please, can I have those? They were $12. So we know, okay, they weren't real. Oh, please, Mommy, can I have those? Those are so beautiful. She said, well, do you have enough money? No, I don't, but I'll work hard. I've got some, I'll let you have everything in my piggy bank, piggy bank, and I'll do all my chores. Please, Mommy, please, please, can I have those? So Mommy gave in and gave them to her, and she loved them. She came home. She did all the chores. She did extra work. She did everything she needed to do. She wore them everywhere. She wore them to church. She wore them to kindergarten. She wore them to bed. She wore them everywhere except the shower because Mommy said it would turn your neck green, so we're not going to do there, there. She loved those pearls. Every night her dad would come in and read her a story before bed. And One night, after a couple, three weeks, dad comes in. He says, Jenny, do you love me? Oh, daddy, I love you. Well, then give me your pearls. Oh, no, daddy, not my pearls. I'll tell you what, you can have ribbons. Ribbons is that toy horse that grandma got me for Christmas last year. And you can braid her hair. You can have that, but not my pearls. He says, okay, read the story and kissed her goodnight. The next night he comes in. He says, Jenny, do you love me? Oh, Daddy, I love you. Well, then can you give me your pearls? Oh, no, Daddy, not my pearls. My pearls. You can have Rosie. Rosie is my favorite doll. You can have that doll. And in fact, you can have the tea set that goes with it, and you can have a tea party anytime you want, Daddy, but not my pearls. The next night, it comes time to read stories and She's sitting on the bed. Daddy comes in. She's sitting on the bed. Her lips quivering. Her head's down. And as soon as he walks in, he says, she says, I love you, Daddy. And she hands out her pearls. And she starts crying. And I got a hunch Dad did too. So Dad hugged her for a minute. And then he reaches in his back pocket. And he pulls out a blue velvet bag. And he reaches in and he gives her her first set of real genuine, beautiful pearls. Friends, our God is always trying to get us to let go of the fake so we can have the real. 
There are too many fake gods, fake idols that are taking His place. We need the real thing. So I'm not going to ask you what's first in your life. I'm going to ask you a question here in a minute, but I'm not going to ask you what's first in your life because you're sitting in church. What's first in your life? God. Yeah, it's easy, all right? That's too gimme, all right? I'm not going to give you a softball like that. But I am going to ask you a question. What's second in your life? What's second? Because I'll tell you. Second is what's competing with God for the throne on your heart. Might be sports, might be job, might be family, might be an attitude, might be, uh, might be a lot of things. What is second is trying to get to what is first. And God deserves first position. There are thrones all over the world. And as far as I've seen, they come in colors and sizes of all shapes and, and colors. But they have one thing in common. They are built for one. I've never seen a throne sofa. There's not a ruling party up there. It's one. God says in Scripture, He is a jealous God. This is not junior high girl jealous, okay? Like, oh, He doesn't like me. It's not that at all. It is jealous because He knows how much these other idols pull at you. And I don't want you to move them away, and I don't want you to shuffle them away. We need to smash them. We need to name them, call them out, and get rid of them. So what is your American idol? And what's in second place? Will you make room for Him to do what He needs to do in your heart? Because we all are idolaters. Pray with me, please. God, I pray that we make room for You to do what You want to do and what You need to do. To shake up the ground of of all my traditional thinking and all of my past ways and to break down the walls of all my religion and what it means. Oh, I go to church, that's enough. No, God, we want to be truly Christ followers. Surrendered, baptized, committed to You. So do what you want to do in our hearts today. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.